Hey, good morning, church. Yeah, you guys are awake. How is everybody? So, happy Memorial Day. A Memorial Day, in case you don't know, is a time for us to pause in our everyday life and acknowledge and remember with gratitude those that served uh, in our country. Uh, I wanted to also take a moment, uh, because as Jacob said, it's been a week. And I love these songs that we sing. Uh, Shelly's on vacation this weekend, awesome job, worship team. Uh, but I love these songs that we sing that, that hold the tension, right? They hold the tension, acknowledging and, and having us realize it and know that there is darkness in our world. And life is tough, and there are hard things, and there's evil in all of that, but then in the midst of it all, there is light, and there is Jesus. I want to read part of a psalm for you. It's part of Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I am faint. Heal me, Lord. My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me, save us, because of your unfailing love. I don't know about you, but the events of this week, the shooting in Texas, our hearts break, we mourn, we grieve. One of the ways that I mourn and I grieve in life is by reading through the Psalms, because it gives language to my heartache, language to my pain, language to the craziness that happens in this world. And in the middle of our fears, in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of conversations, in the middle of social media postings, you know, oftentimes it's a little tricky to know what to say as a pastor, especially in the last couple years, because no matter what you say, uh, you will be judged for it. But I want to remind us this. In the middle of all of that, in the middle of everything that's happening in this world, we follow Jesus. And in Christ, we declare that all life is important from womb to tomb. We are the, made in the image of God from womb to tomb. And I believe it's our job as we follow Jesus to honor and protect that in all facets of life. And I know when events happen, it's so easy to pick sides. It's so easy. Even if you're not trying, you're bombarded by these basically two messages. And I want to remind us that we follow Jesus first. Jesus is our king. 
We are not Republican, we are not Democrat. First and foremost, we follow Jesus. And I firmly believe that it's our job to stand outside political tropes and call both sides to a more gospel-centered ethic. I want to encourage you to resist the urge to play into a political ideology. Stand firmly in the middle of our calling to call all sides to the gospel and to Jesus. And then live a life that results in action. Amen? Amen. And it's okay if you disagree with me. Let's get together. Let's talk about it. I'd love to. We're in this series called The Generous Life. And we started it last week. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go and listen to it. But it's a sermon series on finances, on generosity, and on stewardship. And there's a reason why we're going through this series. There's there's two main reasons. First is it's for your hearts. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So I believe first and foremost that when we talk about money, when we talk about finances, when we talk about giving, when we talk about stewardship, it is first and foremost a discipleship issue. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So first and foremost, the challenge for all of us is to ask ourselves the question, is our heart on Jesus or is our heart on the things that are created? And last week we talked about the parable of the gold bags and the owner handed out servants gold and then it was their responsibility to do something with it. And we talked about all the aspects of that story and that our primary job is that we are stewards of what God gives us. And there's all sorts of beautiful things in that parable, but at the end, it's not about uh, you give and you get more, but it's you give and you get to be in relationship with the creator and share in the happiness, in witnessing the kingdom of God here on earth. Turn with me to Chronicles chapter 29. I know you guys have probably done a lot of reading in the book of Chronicles this week. Uh, But the the book of Chronicles, uh, I I saw this uh, section of verses in a a sermon that Tim Mackey did a while back about generosity. And I thought they were just so fitting after last week's sermon. And in Chronicles chapter 9, we have the King David coming to the end of his reign. And he's handing over the reins to Solomon. And in that, he is uh, wanting to rebuild the temple for the people, for the church, for Solomon to set him up. And in Chronicles chapter 29, we have this beautiful piece uh, uh, that talks about David's generosity. And starting in verse uh, 1, 
King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen is young and inexperienced. The task is great because of this palatial structure it is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver work, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the word, the wood, as well as onyx for the settings and turquoise stones for various colors and all kinds of stone and marble. See, David had this vision of rebuilding the temple, and it was going to be absolutely beautiful. And we have David towards the end of his reign saying, I am going to give to this rebuilding of the temple. In verse 3, besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasure of gold and silver for the temple. So he's sitting there, he's saying, I'm going to give to the rebuilding of the temple. And then because of my love and my devotion to God, I'm going to dip into my personal finances and give generously to the rebuilding of the temple. I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Orpher. We all know gold of Orpher is better than just normal gold. And 7,000 talents of refined silver for this overlaying of the walls for the buildings and the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today. David is saying, this is the vision. This is the goal. I am committed to give resources. I'm going to give personal resources, extravagant resources, all for the vision. And then he invites those around him. He says, who is willing to do the same? I'm setting the example. Who is willing to join me in the vision, in the mission then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple. David shows extraordinary leadership because he leads the way. And as he is generous, those around him are generous. And then David prays this prayer. And this is actually the point of the story for me. The point of the story isn't how much gold, like, that doesn't really resonate with you and I, right? Uh, it, it doesn't, like, we can't get an idea of how much gold and silver and what that costs. We know David was wealthy, and we know he gave generously out of his wealth. But this next prayer kind of illuminates what David's heart was. And it touches on what we talked about last week. David prays. David prays the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, 
Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power. To exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And then in verse 14, but who am I, who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's this mindset that we talked about last week. And I think it's one of the essential points of maturing in our discipleship. When we view ourselves as stewards uh, of people that have the responsibility to receive and to distribute the blessings of God. What's David's heart in this prayer? What does he say about four or five times in different ways? Whose is it? God's. Like you don't find David in this prayer going, oh God, yeah, you've blessed me with so much. Like you've given me this great kingdom. You've given me all these people. They're able to generate wealth. Like I have tons of gold, tons of silver, and it's awesome because I earned it. Now God, maybe I'll give a little bit back to you. It's my job, it's my money, it's my family, it's my house. It's my gifts, my passions. And the challenge, the first discipleship growth area for us all is to go, no, it's not yours. It was never yours to begin with. It is God's. David says it over and over, over and over again. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And I gotta ask, How would our lives change if we had this mindset? Would your life change? Maybe it wouldn't. But how would your life change if you looked at everything you had and your primary position was, thank you, Jesus. It's all yours. It's all yours for me to witness the kingdom of God here on earth. And you charge me, you bless me 
with the responsibility to be a steward of what you've given with my life to show others who you are. What would change in your life if you viewed your time as not your time, it's God's time? Would that change how often you're on this? Ooh, I know, that hurts. I'm sorry. Don't look at your screen time this week. Would that change how much attention you give certain things? What if you realized your home was not yours? Your home is a blessing to bless others, to create places of hospitality, to create places where others can be invited in your home and get a taste of what it feels like to be in the kingdom of God. What if your job was worked not just because it gives you a paycheck, but because in your job you are serving Jesus and serving others? What if you viewed your kids as not your own? God, they're your kids. How would that change how you live? I know for me, that is a convicting question. And I hope it is for you too. I hope it causes us to think. There is a a verse in Ecclesiastes. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes when he's, he's seemingly having this vision of oppression in struggle, in toil. In in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, I saw all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy to another. He gets this image that all this oppression, all this achievement, all this uh, stuff that's going on, that's revolving things and money in our world has to do with something fairly simple, and that's keeping up with the Joneses. It has to do with envy. This person has it, so I want it too. This person can retire well, so I want to retire too. Like, I want to build myself a beautiful house, a beautiful life, so that I can just enjoy it. He says this, I saw all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy to another. This, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Emily, my wife, was pregnant with my son, Bram, second child. And she was faced, we were faced with a decision and a question. Should Emily stay home with the kids? 
And it was a really interesting journey through that question. Because for Emily, there was so much tied up in identity and, and working, and she loved her job, and, and she wasn't sure if she was called to this. And, and so we are in this season of prayer for about a year of going, God, which direction should we go? Like, I don't think this is a question, God, of, of right or wrong, but a question of what's better for our family, where we were at the time. And so we were really praying over this and wrestling over this. And trying to figure out what's the next step. We had a great babysitter. Like things were great. Life was a stressful. And so we were really trying to answer this question. How are we supposed to steward our time and our resources? Because we knew the realities. One less income meant what? Less money. Money's kind of important. One less income meant we didn't get certain things. One less income meant there was more time to steward in other areas. And so I bring up this verse because I'm reminded of this verse. It's we're called to steward. Because there's all sorts of things that play into this. And this verse was a primary verse in Emily making her decision. Coming to the place where she felt, I feel like God is calling me to stay home. To sacrifice and stay home. And it was in this verse. Because we were feeling it in life. This verse talks about two handfuls. You're grasping, you're reaching, you're trying to get two handfuls and trying to hang on. I need more of this. I need more of this. We need more income. We need, we need a better job. We need more things. We need this to make us happy. We need that to make us happy. We need all these things to make us happy. And you start walking around like this. And honestly, that's what we felt like life was in that moment. Both working, both having all the money in the world, but it felt like we were grasping, trying to hang on. And this verse really hit us. It's better to have one handful of tranquility than two handfuls grasping, striving, trying to get, trying to hold on to. It's better to have one handful that's filled with contentment, that's filled with tranquility. If you have one handful, what can your other hand do? can be open, right? It can be open to give. It can be open to receive. There's this picture in Ecclesiastes that, that you're not chasing around fervently trying to get, 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 get. But you're sitting here going, no, I, I, got, I got what I need. Like God is good. God is amazing. God provides. God has blessed us. It may not always look how we want it to look, right? Let's be honest about that. Like God could add a couple zeros if he wanted to. That'd be fine with me. But I got one handful and it's good. And I have this other hand that's sitting here open where I can receive, I can be blessed, I can get, I can also give. Because I'm good with this. 
Everything comes from God. All that I have come from God. My life, my breath, my things, my family, my home, my cars, everything comes from God. And so in this hand, I can be open to receive. If God wants to bless, then I can be open to give if God wants me to give. And for us, as we made this decision from this verse, do you know what it meant for us? It meant we were a little poor. It meant that there were some months when we could not pay a bill. You know what else it meant? It meant that we were in this relationship with Jesus where we were trusting to receive and we were trusting to give. It meant that Jesus was front and center. As we gave even though we didn't have. And it pushed our discipleship in Christ to trust, to live within our means. To receive when we're blessed and to give when God calls. So on one hand, we didn't have as much. But on the other hand, we had Jesus and we had freedom. Because there is a freedom to live this way. This is not freedom. So here's a question. How are you living right now? And if you're married, this is a question to discuss later on over lunch. How are we living? Are we living in this place where we believe everything is God's? Like he can give, he can take away. It's all God's. We're called to be a steward of it. We're called to live with one handful of tranquility and have an open hand with the other to give and to receive. Or are we living like this? Where it's awfully hard to give or receive when your fists are balled shut trying to get more and trying to hold on. See, this sermon, the first two sermons here, aren't about giving to church. It's about your heart. It's about how you're following Jesus. We don't want you to give to church if your heart isn't right. This is about our hearts and how we're following Jesus. In the last verse, I want to talk about, because all through Scripture, there's this principle. We are stewards. And when you're a steward of what God gives you, it opens you up to freedom. It opens you up so you can live content. You can live in this receiving and giving posture. You can live in this posture of gratitude where, God, it's all yours. Everything is yours. I'm here to enjoy it. I'm here to live in it. I'm here to steward it. And I'm here to use it for your glory. 
not to set myself up with this amazing life. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give you glory, Jesus. I'm here to acknowledge who you are. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Here's the interesting thing about the New Testament church. Next week, I think I'll dive into this idea of tithing and New Testament generosity. I've had people ask, do I need a tithe? Isn't that an Old Testament thing? Well, we'll walk through it. And we'll attempt to answer it. Uh, if you don't know, tithing is when you give 10% of your income uh, to God, to the kingdom. So we'll try to answer that question this last week. But there's something about the New Testament church. Jesus dies. He comes back. He says, look, here's your responsibility. Go and preach. Go and make disciples. Go and baptize in all the world. And it's my job. It's your job. It's your job. It's your job. It's your job. We are all called to this. And the Holy Spirit comes breathes life into the followers. And as they go out and preach about Jesus, as they go out and gather in communities, there is something that marks what it means to follow Jesus. They devoted themselves in Acts chapter 2. 42. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had a need. Let that sink in. What kind of living is that? Is that this? No. It's this. It's the kind of living that declares with the actions of my life that God, everything is yours. Everything is yours. And I have the responsibility To manage it. Whatever you give, I have the responsibility to manage and be a steward of what you give. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Here's the interesting thing. This whole setup of the early church has to do with generosity. Generosity of their homes, generosity of their time, generosity of their finances. It all has to do with generosity. And guess what? The world saw that and said, there's something different about the way that you're living. Uh, because my neighbor isn't opening up their home and giving me food. Like, like my 
friends aren't spending time in worship and Bible study and praying for each other. Like they're busy off doing their own thing in their own lives. My friends certainly aren't blessing others with resources. There's this idea in the early church that it was like, hey, I have enough. I have tranquility. I have Jesus. I have this extra. What should I do with it? Oh, you have a need here. You have a need here. You have a need here. And it was so countercultural that it was attractive to everyone else as they looked on the church and went, wow, they really are living differently. They aren't living like the rest of the world. And this is what I think we're called to. To live like this. And this goes way beyond just giving a church. <laughs> this has to do with your entire life. And first and foremost, the question of whose is it? Not mine. It's God's. And then the question of how am I currently living? Am I living like this or am I living like this? And then the final question is how is Jesus calling me to steward the resources that I have for his kingdom? His glory. Amen? Amen. I, I, I have a goal as a pastor Uh, Just so you know this, I want to make talking about money normal. Like, like I want to make it so that whenever we talk about money, it's not just like, oh, the church wants money again. I want to make this that we care about discipleship. We care about discipleship in every area of our lives. And money is something that we all have in common. I think talking about money should be normative in the church. I also think the church should do it responsibly. Don't worry. We're not going all prosperity gospel on you. So we're in week two of a series. Kicking off this thing that we're doing, a 90-day giving challenge. And this is a little weird, right? Because I'm talking about stewardship. I'm saying it's not about giving to the church. And now I'm going to hit you with a 90-day giving challenge that is clearly about giving to the church. I want to repeat again. This isn't about giving to the church. It's about your hearts and what God is doing in your hearts and what Jesus is calling you to. Next week, Uh, Garrett's going to get up and and give a little financial update. And and why we're kicking off this goal, this 90-day giving challenge that will end at the end of summer. Don't worry, we're not spending the whole summer talking about money. But we are highlighting it in different areas and we're going to be giving monthly updates. So this is an area for us because I believe as a pastor of this church, this is an area that we need to mature as in the church. In our discipleship. And so this 90-day giving challenge is just asking the simple question. 
What is Jesus calling you to give? To the church, commit to the church for the purpose of our vision and our ministry. And so maybe some of you have seen there's cards in the pews that look like this. And these cards are going to be available for the next 90 days. And what we're going to do next week, Garrett's going to say the need and talk about what we need to do to achieve a goal. And I just want to tell you, somebody came up and asked me last week, Jim, are we building a new building or something? No. No. Uh, This is purely the 90-day giving challenge is an opportunity to increase our monthly giving so that we can do ministry in the city. This isn't to build whole buildings. This isn't to be extravagantly giving. Uh, The realities of our church is we've spent the last four or five years within a similar window of giving. And that window of giving happens to be at the base of our budget. And we have greater visions for what God is doing in through this church. And so this is simply just raising the awareness and saying if God is calling you to give give. If he's not, cool. If he's calling you to give elsewhere, all right, cool. You're still a steward of the resources. I pray you're giving somewhere. I firmly believe that as we make the need known, Jesus will meet the needs. Every single time we've been short as a church for the last seven years of our existence, We've watched Jesus provide time and time and time and time again. So this is Jesus' job to sustain his church, not necessarily yours. You pray, ask Jesus, and then be open-handed. So on this Giving Day Challenge, we'll cover this again next week. But it's this, uh, just a commitment And there's places to commit. I'm going to start giving. Maybe you're at a place where you haven't given before. Maybe you want to increase your giving. Maybe you're giving 10 bucks a month and you want to increase that to 20 bucks a month. Maybe you're in a place where you haven't tithed. We'll talk about that next week. You haven't tithed. You've been giving about 2% as the average Christian gives to church. You've been giving about 2% and you're going, man, I think Jesus is calling me to give 5%. Or maybe you're sitting here going, man, Jesus is calling me to give 10% of what I give. Or maybe Jesus is calling me to give 15%. The emphasis is not the amount. The emphasis is a relationship in the heart with Jesus. And listening for what he's calling you to do. More on that next week. Uh, as we roll out this giving challenge, there's, there's sign-ups next week. And then we're going to be sending out weekly emails that are encouraging. So even if you're giving currently, I still want you to sign up. Even if you're not increasing anything, still sign up. Because weekly emails are going to be going out. They're going to be telling stories of generosity and stories of what is going on in this church. How are we feeling? Still a little tense? It's okay. It's okay to be tense every now and then. Our worship team will come up and I'll finish with prayer. Jesus, we praise you.
Jesus, I pray that you grow us in our discipleship, in our following you, in being countercultural to this world. When the world says it's all yours and you need to get more, 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 we say, no, Jesus, it's all yours. And Jesus, I'm going to work hard. Uh, I'm going to do all the things. I'm, I'm going to attempt to get more, but I'm going to be content with one handful of whatever you give. And then with my other hand, I'm going to give and I'm going to receive freely and I'm going to be free living in you, for you. Helping to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. In Jesus' name, amen.